0: Church, if you could please open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 14. 1 Corinthians, chapter 14. We're going to continue our study through 1 Corinthians this morning. We finished up chapter 13, taking uh, several weeks to go through um, and look at one of the shortest chapters. It's only 13 verses, but one that is very well known, very widely used, and just packed full Of information for us as we seek to learn to love like the Lord loves us. But we can't forget that this chapter is sandwiched in between chapters 12 and 14, and that Paul is using chapter 13, the love chapter, to make a wider point in the book. Our topic today is going to require a little bit of extra context in order to set up well, so I hope you'll forgive me for skipping some kind of a catchy illustration or intro this morning so that we can jump right into our text. I'm going to go ahead and give you the main idea for today. A genuine work of God in the church builds the church through the church. A genuine work of God in the church builds the church through the church. So as we continue this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, We're going to see how love and how order and structure and everything we've looked at so far plays into our topic this morning as we discuss prophecy and the gift of tongues. Let us stand together for the reading of God's holy word. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 beginning in verse 1 and I will read down through verse 12. Here's what God's Word says. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments Such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct sounds, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we ask that you would accomplish this work in our midst this morning as we come to your word. That you might build up your church through the proclamation of your word. That you might shape us and fashion us into the likeness of Christ. That you might unify us as a body, melding us together into one cohesive unit. That we might function as a unit, bringing you honor and glory in our church and in the world. We ask you to accomplish this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. Now, as we enter into chapter 14, we are entering into one of the most controversial, misinterpreted, misapplied chapters in the whole Bible. The controversy revolves around these questions. What is the gift of tongues, and how is it supposed to be exercised? This isn't the time or the place to give a full treatment on this topic. If there's a big enough request for that, we might can get into that some other time. That being said, for us to understand our passage this morning, we really need some context to really get the full weight of what Paul is saying here. Context is vitally important for making sure that we interpret the Bible correctly, And because this passage is often interpreted in a number of ways, we need to be careful as we move into it. So what is the gift of tongues? Well, to answer this question, we have to answer another question. How does the Bible define the gift of tongues? It's not necessarily... I'm not talking about the word here. The word tongues simply means languages. So when you see tongues in the Scriptures... You can just substitute the word languages. The gift of languages is what it is. That's what the word means. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the gift. What does it mean to have the spiritual gift of languages speaking in tongues? This question really isn't so different from the question of love. If we don't let the Bible define love, we will often find ourselves doing things in the name of love that aren't truly loving. And in the same way, when we don't let the Bible define a gift such as speaking in tongues, what we often find is Christians doing something that really isn't biblical tongues. That isn't to say that this individual is or is not a Christian. It's just that our question this morning is not how someone defines tongues, but how the Bible defines it. And this is dangerous and important because how we define this and practice it runs the risk of confusing the world and Christians about some of the most basic truths of the gospel. Today, many practice something that they call speaking in tongues. And what they're referring to is an unknown angelic language that is used as a prayer language or as a way to speak to the Lord or to praise God. But our question today is not how do others define tongues, it's how does the Bible define it. So here's the answer. It doesn't. (laughs) It does not. If it did, I don't think we would have so much confusion today. It does not. Now it does mention it a few times. But it doesn't outright just define it for us. When we look at the gift of tongues in Scripture, we see a couple of things. Number one, the only occurrence of the gift happens in the book of Acts. As the church is being established as a sign of the truthfulness of the gospel. It's the only occurrence that we see it taking place in the narrative of Scripture. The Gospel in Acts 1-8, we're told that it will spread throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, throughout the book of Acts, that kind of sets up the progression of the Gospel spreading throughout Acts. And at each of those milestones, we see the Spirit authenticating the spread of the Gospel through this gift of tongues. Here's the second thing we see in Scripture. Scripture. The gift of tongues is only ever described as a human language. The only time it's described is in Acts chapter 2. That doesn't mean it doesn't occur in other places, but it's only described here at Pentecost. The first occurrence, and there the disciples are gathered together when the Spirit visibly fills and empowers the church. There are these flames of these tongues of flames that fall down on the disciples and there were jews from all these different nations present converts from different nations who had different native tongues or languages and listen to how they describe it in acts two eleven. we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of god So all these Jews are gathered, the Spirit visibly falls on the disciples, and now they are empowered for gospel witness. We'll look at this as we continue through 1 Corinthians 14, but this is a sign to the people that the prophecies in the book of Joel are beginning to come true. And so their attention is directed now, and all these Jews... They hear in their own native languages these men who do not know their own native languages singing the praises or shouting the praises of God. That's about it. That's what we see. It only occurs in Acts, and it's only discussed in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. This is one of the earliest epistles, and we don't see it come up ever again in the epistles. So before moving on to our passage, I want to address a couple of ways that the Bible is used to justify kind of the modern usage of tongues in many charismatic churches mostly, but not only. Because I've made a pretty bold statement and said that the Bible only speaks about it here. So it would be dishonest for me to not at least address some of these passages. Romans 8.26 is often used To defend praying in tongues. Here's what it says. Likewise, that's Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. It's important to notice this passage is not speaking about tongues. It doesn't come up in the passage. If you go and look at that passage and look at the surrounding verses, none of those speak about tongues. The context is not about tongues. The context is about creation groaning and the intensity getting worse and worse and worse. And then likewise, in our weakness, the indwelling spirit within us, even when we don't know what to pray, intercedes for us in groaning that is too deep for words. Therefore, it cannot be referring to angelic words because the groanings are too deep for words. This passage is not speaking about tongues. It doesn't reference it. It's an assumption to apply it that way. The other passage is one that we recently looked at. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. You can probably just turn a page back or even look at your Bible right there. Paul is preparing to speak about the excellent way of exercising the gifts, And in verse 1 of chapter 13, he says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. For those of you that were here, you'll remember, this passage is often used to defend the angelic language. But if you were here, you'll remember that Paul is exercising here a literary device that is not meant to be taken literally. He's not defending and making a case for an angelic language. He's saying if you have the most beautiful, heavenly language, but have not love, it's nothing. If you have all faith and you have the ultimate of anything in the faith, and and you have not love, it is nothing. He's not suggesting that believers will speak in an angelic language there. By the way, as we continue in chapter 14, he's going to be using more figurative language, more uses of sarcasm. We'll bring that up along the way so that you can see that. But I want to give one more observation here, and this is really important as we dive into our passage. There are certain translations of the Bible that add certain English words for readability. Okay? In English, I might say to Kristen, hey, go take out the trash, please. Well, implied in that statement, you learn at an early age, there's a word in parentheses that you don't actually say there. It's the word you. You, Kristen, go take out the trash. It's implied. Well, as you translate from one language to another, there are certain words that different languages imply that maybe another language, grammatically, they don't imply that word. It gets added. And so sometimes, to help with the readability, as you translate from Greek or Hebrew to English, it's necessary to add a word to really communicate what the other text is saying. Most translations along the bottom of your Bible will include these little footnotes to try to let you know when they do that. Or maybe they'll have the word in the text italicized. And that means that that word isn't, that Greek word isn't there that had to be added to help with readability. If you want to know how your Bible handles that, it's all in the very beginning. That They explain it in the very beginning in the instructions and introductions of your Bibles. They explain that. Now this is important for us because there are some translations here that add the word in front of tongue when it's in the singular, add the word unknown. An unknown tongue. And it occurs multiple times in chapter 14 in these translations. I want you to know that word unknown is not there in the Greek. These interpreters are distinguishing Paul uses tongue in the singular and then tongues in the plural. And when he's speaking of tongues in the plural, he's speaking of the gift of tongues. But when he uses tongue in the singular here, he's addressing something different and the translators can see that in the Greek but want to make sure it's clear in the English. So they put the word unknown there in front of tongues. But what happens is we look at that and we say, okay, Well, that means that the gift of tongues is an unknown language. No one knows it. It's an angelic language. And that is not what the text is communicating. We're going to see in just a moment what Paul is trying to communicate here. So with all of that out of the way, we can now dive into our text this morning. Paul is about to accomplish what he originally set out to do. And I want to give you a reminder, starting in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however, you were led. Therefore, and then he begins his, his instruction there Paul is correcting misinformation concerning spiritual gifts. That's the purpose of chapters 12 through 14. Why? Because the Corinthians are coming from a pagan background with different religious practices. And as they come into the church, they're wanting to bring some of their previous understandings of how to worship in the church. I believe that this is well-meaning. It's kind of like if I go to another culture, I bring certain cultural practices with me. I want to go for a handshake. Not realizing that in some other cultures, well, that's not a proper mode of greeting here. That's not how we greet one another. It's not intentionally malicious or anything. It's just a misunderstanding. So what Paul sees and wants to correct is a spiritual immaturity and gullibility In the Corinthians, specifically regarding the gift of tongues. In the mystery religions of that day, one of the ways that the spiritual elites would distinguish themselves or set themselves apart from a regular religious adherent was they would fall back into this trance like state and speak directly to their God in the language of their God. And when you walked into a temple where this was taking place, you knew that guy is spiritual. I don't even understand what he's saying. He's just speaking to some God. It's amazing. It was this mysterious, unknown, divine language that cannot really be verified. And it was a way to show how close someone was to the gods. Well, like much else in the Corinthian church, these practices began to seep into the church, and many were pursuing the gift of tongues, which is a great thing but it was in order to be perceived as being more spiritual. It was not for the common good. So Paul begins his correction in chapter 12, verse 7. If you'll remember, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. They weren't desiring this gift for the common good. It, was because, it wasn't it was because they were driven by love. They were driven more by selfishness and pride. And this was one of the Corinthians Fatal flaws. I want you to think back over the whole letter up to this point. Everything in this letter seems to revolve around self. Their selfish preference of teachers. Ignoring blatant, serious sin of others in the church. Fighting over rights and suing one another. Marital infidelity. Not sacrificing Christian rights and freedoms for the sake of a weaker brother or sister eating the Lord's Supper without one another. They aren't considering others. It is all loveless and selfless practice. So Paul teaches them that love ought to be the fuel behind everything they should do, including their desire for spiritual gifts and how they exercise them. For this reason, Paul kicks off his discussion of tongues in this way. Finally, in our text here, chapter 14, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He's reiterating how the gift is used is more important than having the gift. We saw that at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. If it isn't done in love, you accomplish nothing. So he couples together. Yes, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but primarily pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Love, as we've seen, has its eyes fixed not inward, but outward. It is not focused on self it is focused out for the good of others it is others focused and here's where paul brings up their error they've brought a strange practice from their former religion into the church genuinely thinking this is the gift of tongues even calling it the gift of tongues but it's not so paul is put in a difficult situation not being there in person, but having to teach them what it is and isn't in a way that doesn't destroy weaker brothers or sisters in the faith. So the way that he exposes their error is by showing them that their practice is not accomplishing what spiritual gifts are supposed to accomplish. Put simply, you know that it's not the genuine gift because the purpose of the genuine gift is the common good. But this is not bringing that about. It is a counterfeit gift, and the evidence is in how it's being exercised. Now, he goes on to clarify later, it's not that the gift of tongues is wrong. It's that what they're doing is not the gift of tongues. Now, this is difficult, again, for him to address. He can't just say, okay, all the tongues. Okay, now this is actual tongues right here. Now, now, no, this really is not. Have you ever heard someone speaking in a language, and they're so fluent in this language, and you're so not fluent, it just sounds like the same sound over and over and over again? Well, you could find yourself wondering, like, is this, is it not? uh... So the best way for Paul to help them navigate... Each instance, on their own, is to teach them about the nature of true gifts versus the nature of false ones. And he does so by pointing to a gift that's easy to understand, it's easy to verify, and therefore it's hard to fake. And that is prophecy. We typically think of prophecy as predictions. Future predictions of what's going to happen. And it can include that, but more times than not, it doesn't. The spiritual gift of prophecy, the word simply means to speak forth or to proclaim. It is to say the truth of God as one is led by God to say it. Now the reason this gift is easier to verify and harder to fake is because when a a prophecy is spoken, everyone is able to weigh what is said. If I were to say, I think the Lord is telling me this right now. And everyone says, well, well, now wait a minute, that's contrary to God's character. I don't think, I, I think you're misunderstanding something, brother. I, I don't think this is right. There's easy way to verify. There's a story about a pastor of a church, and there was someone who set up a tent outside of his church. And they're encouraging some of these spiritual gifts being practiced in bad ways. And some of the members of his church are beginning to go out to these little tent revivals at this happening outside of his church. So he goes out one day and sits and listens. And this person is up speaking and exalting these gifts and exalting themselves as an apostle. And the person says, "I, I feel right now that the Lord is giving a prophecy to someone. So he stands up and he says, it's me. Well, please speak. I can feel it. Yes. Everything this woman says is heresy. You can come to our church every Sunday morning to hear the truth. So now this person is caught in a tough Uh, 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 position. Prophecy has a way of verifying and clarifying these things. So Paul chooses this gift because of its ability to edify the church, its clarity, and begins to contrast their incorrect practice of tongues and prophecy. So he starts in verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So the counterfeit gift here is used to speak to God. Now in my translation, God is capitalized, as is the word spirit, And in my translation, it does not do this, but some of your translations will have a little letter there, either after God or after Spirit, and if you look at the bottom of your Bible, it will say, or, and it will give another possible interpretation for that. God can also be translated, little g, God, because in the Greek, there's always a definite article in front of the word God, theos. The God is what we would say in English. Not a God, the God. Well here, it does not have that. And it's the same as in Acts chapter 17 verse 23. In Acts 17 uh, 23, Paul is going around and he sees this altar with an inscription, to the unknown God, little g God, to an unknown God. And the same thing with spirit here. Another translation that could apply instead of spirit as in God, the spirit, that's not what it says. It could also be translated in his spirit. So it's not that the Corinthians are actually speaking to God. It's that they think they are speaking to God as others do when they do this practice. They speak to a God and that's what Paul is calling them out for. He says, when you do this, you're speaking to a God and no one can understand you and you're uttering these mysteries. That's not right. On the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So the counterfeit is not others focused, but the gift of prophecy, the true one, is. This is the purpose of spiritual gifts and this is our first of two points this morning. God gifts the church to build the church up. As you look through this text, you'll see the word prophecy or prophesize about six times. Same thing with tongues or tongue. In a very close second, five times, you see the word build, built, builds, upbuilding, occurs over and over in this passage and even beyond our text this morning. The purpose is that the church would be strengthened and built up. So Paul continues with this point in the very next verse, verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue, this counterfeit, builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. The counterfeit practice builds up self. The one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, in verse 5, Paul anticipates what they may be thinking. They may be thinking at this point, so, so speaking in tongues is bad. So he clarifies The true gift of tongues is good, but I would rather you pursue gifts like prophecy that build up the church. Look what he says I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So he gives an exception here. The exception is if there is an interpreter. This is the way that the genuine gift of tongues can be protected from something that claims to be tongues and is not. It's the interpreter. If the genuine gift is being practiced, the one with the gift of interpretation can verify it, and the church can be built up just as it's supposed to happen. But without an interpreter, the counterfeit gift is able to have free reign. And so Paul wants to explain why this makes sense. So he gives this analogy starting in verse 6 of these two. Uh, instruments. One, just instruments in general, flute or harp. The second one in verse 8 being the bugle. The genuine gift of tongues carries a benefit if it can be translated and understood. Instruments, similarly, they're designed to make distinct, complex sounds by combining like notes together so that it's beautiful. There's order and structure in music and in instruments. Likewise, the bugle, it's a horn used to instruct soldiers in battle. A certain pattern or sound would indicate charge. Another certain sound or pattern would indicate retreat. So you need to be able to understand what the sound is and what it means in order for it to accomplish something. Or else they're not going to know whether to go forward or to go backward. And this was the giveaway for the counterfeit gift. And he says it in verse 9. It's simply being spoken into the air. If you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. And that's what was taking place. Now the genuine gift, like these human languages, has a meaning. Because all the different languages in the world have meaning. And that's what the true gift is. It is the gift of languages. And to access that meaning, you need an interpreter. Otherwise, the gift cannot accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish in the church. The demand for an interpreter protects the church from a counterfeit gift. So Paul summarizes here in verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. If the church would simply focus outward, it would protect itself from not just counterfeit tongues, but any destructive, dangerous, or unhealthy practice in the church. That's the point that Paul is making here. So here's our second point this morning. God gifts the church for an outward focus. This doesn't mean that the church never does anything inside of a building. This doesn't mean that the church never meets together and encourages one another. It means that individuals within the church are not gifted to serve self. That's the inner focus. It's about others outward. That's the intent behind the gifts. And as the church learns to function in a healthy way, the church will conform to the image Of Christ Jesus. Jesus had an outward focus. Luke 19 verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The way to seek and to save the lost isn't confusion or mysticism. It's a clear presentation of the gospel. All mankind is lost due to our sin and rebellion against God. But by turning to Jesus and trusting Him, we can be forgiven and saved from our sin, from the judgment that we deserve. All who trust Jesus in faith, turning from their sin, will be saved. This doesn't require a mystical experience. It simply requires you coming to Christ to be saved thinking about Jesus even further. It's only because he had an outward focus that he even took on flesh in the first place to come down and dwell among us, leaving the pleasures of heaven to come here. And while he was here, what did he do? He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He brought the dead back to life. He had an outward focus. And yet, time and time again, after doing these things, what did he do? Did he stand up for attention? No. He withdrew with his disciples. He withdrew for prayer. He would tell them, don't tell anyone what you've seen, but go to the temple instead and offer a sacrifice to God. He wasn't in it for the attention. He was in it for the Father's glory and the good of others. When he gave the Great Commission, the Great Commission is literally go and tell. That's the commission. But in our churches, we have taken this go and tell and turned it on its head. And we believe that fulfilling the Great Commission means come and see. That may work in a culture that is saturated with Christianity and cultural Christianity. That may work. But that is not the Great Commission. And it's going to take the whole church making a turnaround from this come and see mentality to a go and tell mentality for us to recover the power of the gospel in our churches. The gospel sends us out, it turns us away from self. Now, there's nothing wrong with bringing the lost into the church. We must do that. We have to do that. But the church is not some sort of attraction or gimmick. To build an attraction, we have to focus inward. Rather, the church is like an amplifier. We exist to amplify the gospel. To conform to the gospel. To proclaim the gospel. The gospel is not, look how close I am to God by what I do. The gospel is, look how close God has come to us despite what we've done. When we exercise spiritual gifts in the church, that's what it needs to affirm the gospel. If it does not, it may not be a gift and it may not be very spiritual. What Jesus has done for us, hear me on this clearly, in English, he will do for anyone who comes to him. Anyone. So church, do not get distracted by these things that draw attention to self. It will simply confuse the world. Rather... Devote yourself to things that will build up others with the truth of God's Word. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a a seeker. You're not a Christian, but I'm I'm, I'm agnostic or I, I don't know what I believe. And you've seen these different things in different churches and you're confused. Hear me very clearly this morning when I tell you what the gospel is. There is nothing that you can do to become closer to God. Jesus has done something in your place, and all you have to do is come to him. And he will save you. That's it. Now, hear one more thing this morning, because we live in an area that is saturated, I believe, with a lot of misapplication of God's word in this regard. Many of you undoubtedly have family members that are members of churches where this is practiced. Maybe you grew up in churches where this is practiced. My mom had an experience in a church where this was practiced. I've had someone pray for me in tongues. I've seen it practiced. I do not believe that someone who practices this gift incorrectly, that that means that they're not a Christian. I I don't believe that. I do believe it means that they're practicing something that the Bible doesn't really define in that way. The best way to help one another in this regard may be The way that Paul handled it here. And what we seek to do as Christians, let us make sure we are building up the church. Let us follow God's word, be obedient, and build up the church. I believe that will safeguard us and propel the gospel forward more effectively than any other technique we can think of on our own. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that your wisdom is far, far beyond our wisdom. Lord, sometimes as we wander through life, it is just so hard to try to decipher on our own what is true, what is not true. Our eyes tell us one thing sometimes, while our ears tell us another. We think we see when we don't. We think we don't see when something is actually there plainly for us. Sometimes we misunderstand. Sometimes our experiences can deceive us, Lord, but we celebrate this wonderful truth that your word never deceives, that your word is always true, that with your word we can rightly see and interpret everything that we see, Lord, would you give us, as a church, individual Christians within your body, would you give us an earnest desire for greater spiritual gifts? Gifts that will build up the church and serve the church and strengthen the church and encourage the church and support the church. Not so that we can be more comfortable here, but so that we can be equipped and built up to go out and fulfill the great commission which you have called us towards, Lord. We want to be a people that go and tell the world about the truth of the gospel. We don't want to just sit back, Lord, and wait. We want to be a going people, an outward people. So Holy Spirit, we know that you dwell within us. We know that you desire to use us for your purposes. Deepen within us a desire for these gifts that can serve the church. That can take the gospel out to those who need it. That they might be adopted by the Father and brought into the fold because of the work of the Son. That they might be filled with the Holy Spirit and that they might go out and repeat. Lord, make us into a gospel-centered church, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our God. Amen.